Good morning, Hopevale. Would you please stand to your feet? We're going to teach you a new song this morning. Some of you might already be familiar with it. We're going to sing through a chorus and then have you join us singing it the second time through. Here we go. Christ is enough for me.
way to start this morning than by declaring and reminding ourselves that Christ is enough. No matter what we've faced, I know some of us have had a rough week, two, month, year, but to remind ourselves, Jesus is still enough for us. He is still everything we need. Would you take a moment and encourage someone around you this morning before you're seated? Well, good morning again, everybody. I'm Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And as you can see by all these families gathered here on the stage, we are going to celebrate child dedication together here this morning. Uh, child dedication is um, a really beautiful act that the family can do. It's just they're bringing their children to God and saying, we want to dedicate them to you. We want to promise that we want to raise them the best we can to understand who you are and who Jesus is. I want to read um, a couple of verses for you. Um, they're verses that we use in our, our children's ministry and our student ministry to, to remind families of the responsibility to raise their children to know who God is. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It starts in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give, uh, that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so that's a little bit of what we start here with child dedication with these families. It's, it's this commitment that they're making to their children that we're going to raise you the best that we possibly can. No, no parent is perfect and no one does it perfect, but to the best we possibly can, we want to raise you to understand who God is and who Jesus is. And so, so that's the first commitment that they're making here today is from them to the Lord. The second commitment that, um, that they're making as parents is that they're committing themselves to the Lord. They're not only saying we want to promise our children to you, God, but, but we're committing ourselves that we're going to, to do the very best we can to provide an atmosphere, to provide a home that we can uh, help them understand who Jesus is at an early age and understand what it means to follow him for the rest of their lives. And then the third commitment is actually ours as a church that we make a commitment here today that we're going to love and support these families, and we're going to pray for them, and we're going to provide environments that they can bring their children to that will help them uh, and partner with them in understanding who Jesus is. And you may notice that there are other couples here on the stage with us, and these couples are leadership people here at Hopewell Church, and they're representing us, the congregation. They are the symbolic reminder that we're going to partner with these families through ministry, through praying, and through our encouragement. But I just have to point out one thing. I don't know if this is, a pro this is the best father's moment possible. <laughs> Can I tell you like that? I love it! I love it! So we're going to have the couples introduce themselves, and we'll start right here. <laughs> Hello, my name is Tiffany Brown. This is my husband, Matt Brown, and our oldest two, Caden and Landon. And today we are dedicating baby Ethan. I'm Robert, I'm Robert, and this is Audrey, and she's got uh, Lenore, and I've got Oliver. My name's Dan, this is my wife Kayla, our oldest Lennon, and today we're dedicating London. Awesome. What beautiful families, right? This is so exciting. All right, well, let's go to a time of prayer to dedicate these children to the Lord. God, we, uh, we thank you so much for a morning like today where we can present children to you and we can um, give them back. They're a gift from you um, to these families and they're, they're here saying that they want to do the best they can to help their children understand who you are, understand who Jesus is and uh, set them up to win for life. Um, and so God, we want to we partner with them. We want to um, encourage them. We want to support them and we want to tell them we love them. And uh, God, this is an amazing thing that they're doing. And so I just want to pray for Matt and Tiffany, uh, for Robert and Audrey, and for Daniel and Kayla specifically, that, that God, you would just provide them strength, encouragement. Parenting is difficult, and uh, there are going to be times when they feel like they're winning, and there's going to be times when they feel like they're not, and God, even in the midst of all of those circumstances and situations, God, that we pray that you would help encourage them, um, that they're doing the best they possibly can, and, um, and that 
that with, with them providing just a, an opportunity for their kids to understand who Jesus is, that that's, that's winning in life. And so, uh, God, I pray that, um, that that would be an encouragement we would do for them and that we would do our best to provide great environments for them so that they could, um, they could help their kids know who Jesus is. And Lord, we also lift up to you these children, Ethan, Oliver, Lenora, and London. We thank them for you, and we thank them for what they mean to these families. The Bible tells us that children are a blessing from you. And because of that, your plans are good for them. May they trust you, and may they grow up to be the men and women you desire for them to be. We pray because of that, that their hearts will always seek you. And Father, as a congregation, may we take our responsibility of encouraging these families and supporting them to heart. We promise to pray for them and be an example of your church to them. It is because of you we get to partner with them. In all your name, amen. Amen. Hey, let's congratulate these families once again. Great job, guys. You guys can go ahead and head off the stage. Hey, just a couple of announcements for uh, the rest of us here at church um, today. Um, if you've been coming to Hopevale for a little while now, and you're just trying to figure out um, who we are as a church, uh, what we believe, or where you fit in here, um, today we have something called Get to Know Hopevale. It's at noon. It's in the, uh, the venue, and there's lunch provided. So even if you haven't signed up yet, we encourage you, if you're like, I, I need to know the answers to those three questions, who we are as a church, what we believe, and how you fit then you can uh, head on down there at noon, eat some lunch, and uh, get some great information about our church. It's a really good next step. If you've been coming only a little while, or maybe this is your first Sunday, uh, so get to know Hope Fails today. Also, if you are a parent of a middle schooler or a high schooler, or if you are a middle schooler or a high schooler, today is the last day to get the early bird price for uh, retreat, the 165 price. Tomorrow, it jumps up 20 bucks to 185 So you can do that online. Go to Hopevale Students or hopefield.org slash students, and you can sign up there, or you can go to hopefield.org slash retreat and sign up online and save some money. It's going to be one of the best weekends of our entire year uh, if you have a middle school or a high school, or if you are a middle school or a high school. Uh, well, this morning we, are, uh, we get to worship in multiple different ways, and giving is one of those ways we get to worship. And so as the ushers come forward to do that, um, let's go to God in prayer. God, I just uh, I thank you for another opportunity to worship you, another opportunity to, to say we love you, um, God, even with these families up here, just to, to see how you're blessing our church, blessing our communities, blessing our families. And God, I, I pray that as um, we give today, that we would give out of a cheerful heart, out of a heart that says, God, you blessed us with so much. And we just want to turn around and, and offer back a part of that back to you, knowing that you're going to take it and do some amazing things with it to help people um, know who you are in this community, around the world to meet physical needs and to meet spiritual needs. And so, God, we, we give with that spirit in mind. And we say thank you for what you blessed us with. We want to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen.
In Psalm 63, David writes, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Jesus, we lift our hearts to you today. We lift our hands to you today. We are desperate for you to move, desperate for you to speak. And Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every word. Spirit
push away the fears, that we would lean in to all you are, and everything else would wait. Everything else would fall away. Everything else would be in the shadows, God, in the light of all that you are. Oh, come and speak to us today, Lord Jesus. We, your people, long to hear your voice, and we love you. In your name we pray. Well, it's been a great morning of worship, singing a song like that, asking God's Spirit to come and join us and to be part of the child dedications, which were phenomenal. And I was over here, and I kind of got to see like this very special moment, the family over here, where there were two older brothers joining their family to watch their younger brother uh, be dedicated. And as Pastor Sam's talking, I noticed they were kind of checking themselves on the side screen. And... <laughs> Their heads were right about here, so they'd kind of go up on their toes, and uh, great. I don't know if that's what this is all about, but man, that just made my day. Hey, before we begin, uh, I have a couple announcements to share with you. First of all, I'm pleased to announce that we have a new worship pastor, so yes. Uh, Billy Petty, who was our guest worship leader last week, will be coming on board. He's actually going to begin early next month as he finishes things up at his present church down in the Detroit area. You can see here is a picture of Billy with his family, his wife Amy, and their daughter Charlotte, who is just under two years old. And I need to clear up a little confusion among some of you. You will notice that Amy looks different than the young woman that Billy was singing with last week. <laughs> because she is, okay? That was Stephanie Fletcher. Stephanie and her husband Kyle work primarily with our students. They'll be helping us in the auditorium now and again. But Billy is married to Amy, so you just kind of make that connection now. You have a couple weeks to get it right before they come, so... Yeah, so we are looking forward to having uh, Billy join us, and we're just, we're grateful to God. We've been praying and seeking his will on this. He has answered our prayers, and we are also, I think as a church, we need to be very grateful for all our worship ministry volunteers who have been tirelessly serving uh, month after month after month. That includes the team that you see up here every week. It also includes our team that's behind the scenes as well. So just great job. Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about is we have a big event coming to Hopevale in a couple weeks. That on Sunday night, February 26 at 6 p.m. right here in the auditorium, we're going to be hosting our latest Sunday night spotlight. And we're going to have a mixed racial panel discussion on Christianity and race. We use Sunday night spotlights to address cultural issues from a biblical perspective. And to do that, I've asked Pastor Hurley Coleman, who is from the World Outreach Center here in Saginaw, to join me along with a couple other Hopevale regulars, John Neal and Elaine Carls. You know, in a culture today that is filled with divisiveness, anger, fear, hatred, we as a church, we got to get this one right. We got to be able to rise above it. We got to pursue things like peace and understanding and love and, and, and look at it in a way that only Jesus can provide. So, my prayer is that you'll join us on this Sunday night spotlight and it can be one small step for us in that direction. Make plans to join us. I, I can guarantee you that this is going to be. A powerful event. So that's later on this month. But for today, we want to continue in our hashtag blessed series where we are learning and living the Beatitudes of Jesus. And to do so, let's go ahead and let's take a look at what we've covered so far. Up to this point, we have walked through the first three Beatitudes, and all three of these Beatitudes speak to deep spiritual matters of the heart. So, kicking the series off, we looked at the first Beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, which says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
This first, this first beatitude speaks to our spiritual poverty. The, the poverty we have apart from Jesus Christ and our desperate need for his grace and his mercy and his love and forgiveness. So what we are unable to achieve through our own moral goodness, Jesus offers his righteousness on our behalf. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And so when we run to Jesus in our desperation, when we cling to his righteousness instead of our own, we can rest in the assurance that the kingdom of heaven is truly ours, both now and forever, desperate and blessed. From there, Jesus goes on to the second beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We go from desperation to brokenness, from spiritual poverty to spiritual mourning. And Jesus says that there is a blessing for those of us who honestly and humbly recognize our selfishness, our stubbornness, our sinfulness before a holy God, and we feel genuine, heartfelt sorrow because of it. Because it's in that brokenness that Jesus can bring us the healing, the deep and abiding comfort that only his salvation can provide broken and blessed. And then last week, we looked at the third of Jesus's Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We dug deep into that word meek, and we saw that contrary to popular opinion, meekness isn't weakness, but rather it is controlled strength that comes when we surrender our lives to God, when we submit to his hand of authority over our lives. So just like Jesus, who is the ultimate example of meekness, it doesn't mean that we're a doormat, that we let people walk all over us. No. Rather, we let the Scriptures, we let the Holy Spirit, as we've sung today so beautifully, lead us through life, patiently trusting that God will lift us up in honor according to his perfect timing. Meekness changes who we are before God, but it also changes who we are with people. It changes how we relate to life circumstances, both good and bad. We become more patient. We become gentle. We exhibit self-control along with the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, surrendered and blessed. Well, as we walk through those first three Beatitudes over these last several weeks, there's a passage of Scripture that kept coming to my mind. It's a brief story found in the Gospel of Luke, and it involves three main sets of characters. You've got Jesus, you've got a bunch of social and spiritual degenerates, and you've got a group of well-respected religious higher-ups. And so in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, the story begins. Then Levi, who later we'll know as Matthew, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Jesus had called Levi, or Matthew, out of his shady tax collecting business and invited him into new life as one of Jesus's 12 disciples. Jesus had brought real meaning and purpose to Matthew's life, and so Matthew wants to celebrate. He holds this great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a bunch of his tax collector work associates join him. Now, back in Jesus' day, nobody really liked tax collectors. They worked for the evil Roman government. They used deception, intimidation, and really any means possible to extract more money from good, honest, hardworking folk. Yet here they are, they're having a party with Jesus, verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the religious ruling class. They set the cultural standard for righteous living. In other words, if you wanted to be a true worshiper of God back then, then you needed to imitate their behavior and do everything they said. So they see what's going on with Jesus at Levi's house. They don't like it one bit. They confront Jesus' disciples and say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. Why is your supposed rabbi, your supposed master, your supposed teacher even associating with such unclean and godless people like that? Well, Jesus must have been in earshot of this conversation because he pipes in, verse 31, verse 32, which really is the punchline of this story. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In the world of the Pharisees, there were only two kinds of people, the righteous and the unrighteous, the ones who were pleasing to God and the ones who were displeasing to God. Now, according to Jesus, he too said there were only two kinds of people, but his groupings were different. His groupings were those who think they're righteous before God and those who know they're not. Those who think they're righteous and those who know they're not. If you think you're healthy, then you have no need for a doctor. But if you know you're sick, you're desperate, you're broken, you're surrendered, then you will go anywhere, you will do anything to find healing and hope. And so Jesus says, I have not come to call the so-called righteous. Why? Because there's nothing he could give them that they didn't think they had already. No, I'm here for the sinners, Jesus said. I'm here for the selfish. I'm here for the stubborn among you. Those of you who know that you need a Savior. Do you get that? Do you see how this directly intersects with what we've seen so far with those first three Beatitudes? God wants to pour out his deepest and richest blessings upon you. This new life in Christ, this abundant life, this forgiven life, this eternal life. But he's not going to do it if you don't think you need it. No, blessed are the desperate. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the surrendered because these are the ones among us who know, right? We're humble enough before God. We're honest enough with ourselves to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we need Jesus. We need Jesus who he alone can be for us. So my prayer for everyone today and really throughout this series is that we all would be brought to the point of our own spiritual desperation and brokenness to know that you need Jesus as your Savior. So if you've never made that kind of confession before to him, you can do that right now. Right in your heart is a silent prayer to God, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. And that's the heart of those first three Beatitudes. And if you've already made that kind of confession before, then let today be the day for you to reaffirm that confession because you still need Jesus just as much as you did when you first became a Christian. See, Jesus isn't for those among us who think we are righteous apart from him. No, he's for those of us who know that we're not. That is the point of the story. It's also the point of these first three Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, before we go on to the next Beatitude, I want to revisit a diagram that I shared with you a couple weeks ago. Now, in the opening message, I said that the Beatitudes are upside down and that they're countercultural. They're counterintuitive. I said that they're also inside out, that true blessedness starts by what happens in us rather than what happens to us. And then finally, I said that they're also one step forward, like a roadmap for a journey. The sequence of the Beatitudes matters. Similarly, drawing from this clear and just really good analogy from Pastor Colin Smith, we saw that the progress of the Beatitudes is like the growth of a plant. And so I put this diagram together to help us visualize that, right? That as you can see here, those first three Beatitudes are like the roots of a plant. They're what happened in us below the surface, what's going on inside of our hearts. And so Jesus says that the blessings of God come to the desperate, they come to the broken, they come to the surrendered among us. We gotta start with God in here, right? So that's where it starts, but it doesn't stop there because once we're established, we're rooted in Christ, as the Apostle Paul puts it, then the evidence in our lives begins, what? To show above the surface. Roots, then shoots. These buds on the branches, these initial signs of life. And that's where we are in this series, this fourth beatitude, the evidence that Jesus, the great physician has brought health and healing to our spiritual sickness. Make sense? So let's go ahead then and read together this fourth beatitude of Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. I want you to say this with me. Here we go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That once we are rooted in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, then the evidence of our new life that's coming alive within us, it begins to show up, how? With a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. That what we desire in life, that what we pursue, that what we chase after, that what we're passionate about, it changes. It changes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst righteousness. Now, there's a lot going on in this one beatitude, and so for the rest of our time together, I want us to take this verse apart, piece by piece. Look at each of them, and then when we get toward the end, we're going to put it all back together and see its beauty and all that Jesus has for us in this beatitude. So for starters, I want to begin by tackling the biggest and probably most confusing word in this beatitude, and that's the word righteousness righteousness. Now, I'm not going to do a full word association experiment with you like I did last week with the word meek, but if I had to guess, I think most of you would either have negative feelings about the word, or you might have cold and sterile and indifferent feelings about the word. Now, negative feelings about righteousness comes from this whole idea of seeing people who act self-righteous, right? self-righteous. You know what I mean. People who are smug in their morality and their religion, they're acting like they're always right about everything. They're looking down on everyone else. And so you read Hunger and Thirst for Righteousness and you think, who wants to be that guy, right? It's such a turnoff. Or maybe your feelings aren't negative, but they're just neutral. They're cold. They're indifferent. I find this among seasoned Christians who are familiar with the Bible and they know doctrine and they can rattle off maybe a technical definition for the word righteousness, but it leaves them unmoved. So they might be passionate about a lot of different things in life, and maybe even many of them good ones, but chances are righteousness isn't one of them. So what does righteousness really mean? And how should we not just think about it, but how should we also feel about it? Well, let me give you my best shot and and prepare to be amazed with this profound definition. Here we go. Righteousness is rightness. Wow, do you feel blown away? I know. I know, pretty incredible, right? Righteousness is rightness. Rightness in the sense when we say something like all is right with the world. It's the feeling when everything is in place, nothing really is going wrong. So it's not so much rightness as in correctness. It's more like rightness as in settledness, rightness as in peacefulness. So righteousness is rightness. Let me add one more. Here we go. Righteousness is also goodness. It's goodness. Now the word good should put a smile on your face. It really should. Good things are those things that make us happy. Good things are those things that bring us joy. So righteousness is not sadness. Righteousness is not badness. And righteousness is also not evilness, if there were such a word. No, righteousness is goodness in the best and purest sense of the word. Okay, one more. Here we go. Righteousness is rightness. Righteousness is goodness. And righteousness is godness. Godness. Yes, I'm just making up words now, okay? Yeah. Righteousness is godness. But here's what I mean by godness, right? Godness is everything wonderful about God's love, his honesty, his justice, his mercy, his beauty, and his holiness. See, righteousness, when it's properly understood, is positive and attractive. It really is, but we've diluted it, we've distorted it so badly that all we can think about is uptight religious people who never have any fun. And yet that is so missing the boat. See, our best understanding of righteousness needs to begin with God and who he is and all his glory and goodness. And when that's our vision for righteousness, then we can begin to see that for our own lives as Christians as well, where righteousness is what? Where righteousness is something to be desired, not something to be dreaded. Desired, not dreaded. That's why Jesus says blessed. Blessed are those of you who hunger and thirst for this right and good thing called righteousness, for you will be filled. So righteousness is rightness, it's goodness, it's godness in the most positive and attractive sense of the word. And if that's the case for God who is perfect, what does righteousness mean for us, we who are far from perfect? Well, to understand what the Bible teaches about our own righteousness, there are two ways we need to think about this, right? 
Now, when it comes to our righteousness, there is our perfect righteousness in Christ, and there is our progressive righteousness in life. Our perfect righteousness in Christ, our perfect progressive righteousness in life. Let me tell you what I mean by that. First of all, our perfect righteousness in Christ. This is what we receive when we know Jesus as our Savior. And when I say that, I'm simply going back to what we've covered at the beginning of the message. Jesus' call to those who know that they need him as a Savior. You might remember that a few weeks ago when I talked about the Apostle Paul and how he realized that his best religious efforts were worthless in the eyes of God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, verse 9, Paul says, I consider them garbage. All my works, all my good deeds I consider garbage, right? That I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from keeping, right, the Bible and obeying it and thinking I'm a good person, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God to us, right? on the basis of faith. In other words, if you and I try to earn God's approval by keeping all the rules, by striving for moral goodness, we will fail. But if we recognize the desperation, the brokenness we have, if we cling to Christ through our wholehearted faith and trust, then the eyes of God, right? Jesus' perfect righteousness is ours as well. That there is nothing we have to add to that. There is nothing we can add to that. So that when it comes to our righteous standing before a holy God, Christ is enough for us. Our perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. That is our standing. But then there's also this. Right? There's our progressive righteousness in life. And this is what we mean when we are following Jesus as our Lord. In other words, this is our spiritual growth as Christians, where by the Scripture, by the Spirit, like we talked about last week, our lives are gradually and progressively becoming more righteous. They are increasingly reflecting what? The goodness, the, the rightness of God. When that happens, we become more obedient to God's direction in our life, and we do that not just because we need to, but because we want to. And all those religious do's and don'ts from the Bible that used to overwhelm us, that used to turn us off because they felt so restrictive, we now see them because of Jesus as the pathway to life and growth and righteousness, right? And when that's going on in us, then everything wonderful about God's love and his mercy and justice and beauty and his holiness, it begins popping up in our own lives, You begin to see it. That's the kind of progress I'm talking about. Kind of progress in righteousness, Jesus says, that we're supposed to hunger and thirst after. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, all the Beatitudes, right, are incredibly powerful. And I know that for some of you, there's been a particular week already, a particular message that has really spoken to you, right? And that's great. But I think this fourth beatitude is really important because it brings together some very crucial life concepts that a lot of people get wrong. They really do. A lot of people get this wrong. And when I say a lot of people, I'm not just thinking outside the church, but also inside the church. See, what's great about Jesus' promise of blessing for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is that it connects passion with religion. It connects passion with religion. It connects what we desire deeply with how we live morally. For some reason, because of our dysfunction, because of our selfishness, because of our stubbornness, because of our sinfulness, we just can't seem to merge those two worlds together. We can't, and yet Jesus says our passion and our religion, they're not just meant to come together, but that when, when they come together, right? When they come together in us, that's when we'll experience these blessings that God has for us. Let me show you what I mean. See, some people live a life of no righteousness, right? No, this is passion without religion. There are a lot of people who on the outside don't seem to care at all about morality. They live life with great passion, but it's all self-focused. They want what they want when they want it. So what you see with the younger brother in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. He goes to his father and tells his father he wants nothing to do with him. He asks for his share of the family inheritance, which he proceeds to just blow through, right, and passionately chasing after everything he thinks is going to bring him pleasure and make him happy. 
So he goes on this just huge party lifestyle, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever the equivalent was back then. Looks like he's having a good time, but what? It leaves him empty inside. Or to use the words of Jesus in this fourth beatitude, it left him far from being filled. That's why the Apostle John warns us in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those are what people run after that they think will make them happy. That is passion without religion. Lust of the flesh, sex and intimacy. Lust of the eyes, greed and materialism. Pride of life, status and self-importance. Chasing after these things, thinking it's going to fill the hole inside. But look what it gets you, verse 17. The world and its desires, they pass away. And whoever does the will of God lives forever. Those things, if you're really going to run after them, they're temporary. They won't last. They won't satisfy you. They won't leave you filled. That is life with no righteousness. Passion without religion. But there's another dangerous direction you can head in life, and while this one is equally destructive, it's much harder to detect. And that's this, it's empty righteousness. Religion without passion. Empty righteousness looks impressive. It looks spiritual, it looks incredibly religious. As a matter of fact, everything about it seems so solid that to be critical of it comes across as jealousy or even heresy. People like this, they can be faithful churchgoers. They can put a lot of money in the offering plate. They can quote a bunch of scripture from memory, and from all appearances, they are as faithful and devout as you will ever see. And yet, something's not quite right. I mean, the moral, the religious actions, they're there, but something besides deep passion and genuine love are motivating them. Going back to Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, this is exactly what you see with the older brother in that story. He's dutiful. He is compliant. He is everything on the outside that you would want a son to be. But on the inside, his heart is bitter. His heart is jealous. His heart is resentful. Why? Because that's what happens when you do the right thing while your heart's in the wrong place. And it's this empty, it is this hollow righteousness that Jesus saw in the religious leaders of his day. And it put him off so much that he would constantly attack them all throughout his ministry for them setting such a harmful example. Take, for instance, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, beginning verse 5. So the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders? Right? instead of eating their food with defiled hands. These religious leaders are criticizing Jesus over this nitpicky religious rule that they obsessed over, and the implication is this. See, Jesus, that's why we're right and you're wrong. So how does Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, respond? In verse 6, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching, teachings are merely human rules. They think God is so pleased with how moral and devout they are, even down to the minute detail of things like ceremonial hand-washing. You know, what does Jesus say? Your religious practices aren't about God, they're about you. And all that rule-keeping, you are worshiping God in vain. You honor him with your lips, but your hearts are so far away from him. That's the kind of religion that makes righteousness so unattractive. It's judgmental, it's hypocritical, it's superstitious. Let me tell you, religious people who live this way, I can guarantee you that they have never been desperate. They've never been broken. They've never surrendered their lives in meekness before God. They might look impressive on the outside, but on the inside they're empty and hollow. So sure, it's easy to see that a life with no righteousness will never be fulfilling. But the same can be said about a life with empty righteousness, a, a life that is filled with all religion but no passion. Which leads us into the path that Jesus wants us to walk upon, the path of true righteousness. 
true righteousness, where passion and religion come together. That's what this beatitude is all about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Listen, a lot of people have got Christianity all wrong. They think that it's all rules, no joy, but that's not it. Not even close. No, Jesus invites us to a life where our hearts will become even more alive than they ever have been before when we direct our passion, when we direct our hunger, when we direct our thirst toward his righteousness. Listen, if there is not joy, if there is not passion, if there is not excitement with your faith, then you're doing it wrong. Do you think being religious means you've got to dial back your emotions and you have to shut down your heart? Then you're missing out on the abundant life that Jesus promises to everyone who knows and follows him. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He says, flee the evil desires of youth. Right? Flee a life of all passion, no religion. But the answer to that isn't shutting down your heart. No, your answer is chasing after the right thing with equal, if not greater, intensity. Flee the evil desires of you, then pursue. What? Righteousness. Faith, love, and peace, along with those who call out on the Lord out of a pure heart. See, the answer to bad desire isn't no desire whatsoever. No, Paul says, go ahead. Live passionately, but chase after the right things. Pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace, and join with others. Join with fellow Christians who are running hard after the exact same thing. See, that's what makes the saving and transformative grace of Jesus so powerful. That's how it works in our lives. So that pursuing righteousness is no longer a have to, but it becomes a want to. We want to pursue righteousness. Because the grace of Jesus has freed us. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is changing us. Changing everything about us. So blessed are those among us who hunger and thirst with these passionate hearts, right? For God's true righteousness. That's the command. That's the life calling. And when we do that, Jesus promises that we will be filled that we will be satisfied with the blessings of God. And so as you think about those three, as you think about the arrows that veer off or the one that goes straight down the middle, which one best describes your life? Is your life marked by no righteousness, all passion but no religion? Is your life characterized by empty righteousness? To me, that's the really scary one, right? All religion but no passion. You know, buttoning up our lives for one hour on Sunday in here, right? Shining up the exterior. That's what the Pharisees did. And yet the other 167 hours of our week, just living for whatever we want. Or true righteousness. Or because of Jesus, because of his Holy Spirit in us, passion and religion come together. Listen, if it's anything but that last one, you are missing out on the blessings that God wants to give you. You're going to miss out on the life that you were not only created to live, but also on the life that Jesus freely offers you to experience because of his death and his righteousness. So let today be the day that you come to Jesus, or maybe for some of us, come back to Jesus. And let us together pursue the life of true righteousness that we're always meant to live. See, Jesus makes it clear that he and he alone is able to fill the deepest longings of our heart. That's what he meant when he said this. And I'll close with it. John chapter 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It is tragic, right? When people go through this life hungering and thirsting after the wrong things. And yet it's equally tragic when people shut down their hearts in the name of religion. Don't be that person. No, Jesus says, come to me, doesn't he? He says, believe in me. He says, follow me with everything you've got because when you do, you will never go hungry. You will never be thirsty and you will find that your heart is more alive than it's ever been before. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will 
be filled. Let's pray together. Lord, you are, by your Holy Spirit, changing us, changing what we see, what we seek. You are changing everything in us from the inside out, and that includes our desires. That includes the direction of our life. That includes what we're running hard after. God, let us not be scared of living passionately, fearful of doing the wrong thing, but let us the freedom of your grace, run hard after you. That's why we're here. That's why we're worshiping today. That's why we're lifting up our hearts, we're lifting up our voices to you, the one true God, who is so great, who is so good. God, if we are off track, get us back. For our sake, for your glory. And do that in a way that... Is gentle and yet firm in a way that's going to get our attention, in a way that is going to cause us to want to know you and to want to run hard after you even more. And so, God, even as we sing this closing song, may you align the affections of our heart with the direction of our life. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and respond in worship.
Next week, we'll continue on with our series in the Beatitude. So we talk about what it means to be merciful. But as you go from here, may you go in the power and strength of the name of Jesus Christ. God bless you.